0: Thank you so much for tuning in to the Living Room Disciple Podcast. Today, I'm going to introduce you to Paul Hastings, who's both a husband and a father, and also the host of the Compelled Podcast, a podcast in which they highlight the testimonies, the compelling testimonies of believers. It's a pretty amazing conversation that we get to have, and it kind of hovers around both the podcast and also essentially how we are formed when we listen to the testimonies of others. So I can't wait for you all to enjoy our conversation today on the Living Room Disciple Podcast, where discipleship finds a home. Paul Hastings, thank you so much for joining us today on the Living Room Disciple Podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be here. It's exciting.
0: I, um, I've been looking forward to this for like, uh, I feel like it's been on the books for like a month now. I think,
1: I think it's been like two, two months, I think actually. Oh my gosh.
0: And, uh, I, one of the reasons I've been looking forward to this is, you know, you oversee an organization called compelled Yep. and runs a podcast. We'll of course put links to all that in the show notes, but, uh, well, it has kind of a compelling premise and I think that's what I'm most excited to talk to you about. And, uh, how about this? Let's assume that our listeners have never heard of Compelled. What's like the pitch? What's like the high-level like overview of the podcast?
1: Sure. So our show is called Compelled, and we find people with unique stories how Christ has transformed their life. We take their testimony, and we condense it down into about the most 45 most compelling minutes that we can find, which really illustrate how God is the hero, not the person, not the individual, but rather that Christ is the one who's transforming lives. Mm. Then we add sound effects, music, and narration
0: to turn it into a gripping audio adventure. Uh, and that's what we do. Okay. I just need to pause it gripping audio adventure. I love that. And I think that's true. Um, you know, I listened to a few episodes, those kind of things. And one of the things that strikes me is I wasn't, when, when I first heard about it, I wasn't honestly sure how I felt. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I was like listening to people's like testimonies. I was really kind of mixed on. Sure. Um, and, and one of the things we always ask in this podcast is like, how is this forming me? So I was like, I don't know if it's gonna be a positive formative experience to to broadcast testimonies in this way. But that wasn't my lived experience. My lived experience was um, feeling compelled and gripped and kind of having these moments of like my eyes being turned to the Lord and, and seeing his goodness. And there's this verse um, that says, I'm trying to remember the reference, but I don't have it right now, um, that, that there is power in our testimonies. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that that's probably been a theme for you and something you thought about quite deeply in the past. Why start this podcast?
1: Mm, yeah, yeah. So, okay, I'll, t- two answers to that question. First, about power in our testimonies. You know, I, I think that, and, and again, l- I want to make sure that this uh, that what I say here comes across correctly because I think the important thing to remember is that it's not so much like, oh, my testimony has some kind of mm-hmm. mystical aura about it does not but rather our testimony is actually the story of what god already did what god is doing currently and that is actually the powerful component because it reminds Mm -hmm. us what god is still capable of doing even in the future in fact Mm -hmm. i just heard a great message i was at a conference last week just heard a great message from exodus and the israelites have just been uh, freed from captivity uh in, in egypt and they've made their way to the red sea and pharaoh's army comes out after them, right? And so like Pharaoh's army is the greatest, hugest, you know, most powerful army on earth, probably that time in in history. And the Israelites, they're not an army. They're just a bunch of tourists with way too much baggage and they're going to die. And they scream out to Moses, and they're so angry at Moses, like, did you free us just so that we could die out here, right? There's this element of sarcasm in their voices. And then Moses takes this complaint over to God, and God says, essentially, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, God essentially says, be quiet, be still, because I'm going to bring glory to my own self. Mm. and mm-hmm. and, he's, and then he also says so that you will remember it for the future generations and of course I've massively paraphrased that yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and that's exactly what happened so even though the situation was horrible and terrible and everyone's like frightened and they're like ah oh, we're all gonna die and it looks awful the, the odds are stacked against them, and they continue yeah. to get stacked worse and worse and worse and worse against them yet God is doing all of it to bring glory to his own self and so I think that's where our testimonies
0: it's actually so that we can remember in the future what God has done I think it's such a good uh, example too. And right after that, so they cross the, the Red Sea, they're on the other side. The first thing M- Moses does is he composes a poem yeah. and a song yeah. for the people to sing and to remember because there's this power in this in this Exodus testimony. yeah. And that's like a repeated theme actually throughout much of the Tanakh, the whole Old Testament, is like these moments and these markers that the Lord commands his people to have in order to remember what we would yeah. say today, the testimony uh, of the <laughs> Lord, and and I, I do think that's one of the beautiful things uh, of what mm-hmm. you do. But let me kind of, because um, we, we're always thinking about how we're being formed, right? So, you know, one of the things you had highlighted is that you take these testimonies and you you do some like creative curation, right? As sure, a word sure, to, yeah. to highlight Christ. Yeah. So I think a logical, especially in an age of skepticism, right? So I feel like I, I I'm a millennial, so I come from this generation where a lot of us experienced this very, um, and many of us are still experiencing like a, v- a very curated form of Christ right in the, yeah. in the church. Yeah. Um, it, it, I mean, it's like the, how many services can you find right now? Like they don't have a fog machine. Right. And so, uh, <laughs> I mean, like, it's like, I don't know. And, and we're not knocking that, but I'm saying yeah. that there's a lot of pl- people who are engaging with the church and working through their feelings on that. Yeah. So, uh, I, I again, I listened to the episodes or some of the episodes and I, I, I felt very good and, and about the way that you kind of curated things. But, but how would you walk someone through who is maybe like, I don't really know if I want to listen to a curated testimony. I don't know if that's like authentic or organic enough.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, probably what I would just share with them is like, hey, you know, what we've, what we've attempted to do is we try to be really authentic. So like people mess up, Christians mess up all the time, even if they're already Christians. Mm-hmm. And we try to preserve that authenticity in the storyline as well. Um, A good example, I've got a friend, Garrett Kell, and I have got this little card that we actually made for him. And so Garrett, um, I think we did a pretty good job with that story, where Garrett was a believer. And he had this really cool Mm -hmm. testimony, how he used to be like a a party guy, a frat guy, um, Mm -hmm. and how the Lord saved him from that while he was in college. And then he became a pastor of a thriving church. And maybe that's where we would you know, have ended the story if we wanted to be this old oh, rags or riches kind of thing. Sure,
0: sure, sure. But
1: what we then did next is we told the rest of the story, which is that as mm. a pastor of a thriving church, Garrett then developed a deep addiction to pornography, mm. and he had this addiction for years that he kept secret from everyone in his yeah. life. Uh, and, and we just played it really real and raw, and then we play it. Play his story all the way through where it eventually comes to this moment where the entire congregation finds out in one fell swoop by accident, not intentionally on his. I mean, it's just like crazy, um, but that's what really happened. That's real life, what really happened. And then we also play the aftermath of what happened after that as well and how God still redeemed that story. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's our attempt there. So that's just one example, but we're trying sure. to, again, we're trying to be true to each person's story. So it's not just all these like, oh, make you feel good yeah. sort of thing. Um, but rather like, hey, God is the hero. And some stories don't have happy Cinderella endings. And that's, that's just real life, because that's the life that we live in.
0: And it's something I think we need to talk about as a church more, you know, I think it's one of the reasons that we, we do a poor job, co- I, you know, collectively. Uh, I think we often do a poor job of reading through Old Testament stories. Right? I think sure. there's a reason that culturally like we, we struggle and it's because the Old Testament is not meant to like tie a bow on much of anything, right? Sure. It, it's, and so you you read like the life of David and we focus on these like key moments. That, I mean, but his life ends in this really mixed way with him. Yeah. Like, you know, he's he's old and he's he asks for a young woman to be brought into his bed, who he's essentially going to die next to, and he gives Solomon like a hit list to yeah. like, tell like, yeah. so he like he ends his life. You know, yeah. his last words to Solomon are essentially, you know, those people who I spared, could you just make sure that 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 they go down to the grave with me? And it's it ends like that. <laughs> You're like, I don't know what to do with that. I don't mm-hmm. know what my clean lesson is. But do we trust that there's still power in the learning about this, the meditating on this and the processing of this? And I do think that's one of the things about the um, messy, often ugly testimonies that I carry in my own personal life and that are like spread throughout the church that like, you know, you could look at Phil's life and you could cut out certain sections to tell like a beautiful story with an arc, you know, sure. kind of has, you know, the the hero's journey, as it were. Sure, but my life is significantly more messy, and a lot of the journeys I've begun ended halfway, or yeah, just ended. Miserably or they're still ongoing because you're only yes. like you know thirty
1: years old or whatever, right? And like there's still yeah. more happening still, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And and so I really do appreciate that about the content that you all are, are putting out there as well. So, how did you start? Compelled? Like, where did this idea come from? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, where did it come from? Like, how did you get started? It's a big step to start a podcast i know <laughs> sure yeah yeah that's yeah.
1: That, that's a really good point
0: yeah so what happened was uh for
1: uh, about the first eight years of my career i had worked in texas politics um and that's all i did i was just a political oh, consultant strong. yeah it was i mean it was it was uh it was a lot you know and right. um and, but what happened over time is that it became uh, all-consuming Uh, and Mm. so like, I was just, my, my brain was just, and my heart was just completely obsessed by the outcome of political campaigns. Um, and by the success of my candidates, uh, I was being, Mm. uh, pressured to do things that were probably unethical. I mean, they were unethical. Uh, and I was feeling, experiencing pressure and desires to do things that were unethical just for the Mm. success of our candidates. Um, and then, you know, weird, strange things were going on where candidates that were like supposed to be the good guys. You eventually find out like, oh, they actually, you know had an affair with their wife later on, like shortly after you elected them or like while you were in the process of helping them be elected, they were like doing these things. And so it was just like really kind of jading off the same time. And then finally, uh, my wife and I, we had just had our first little baby girl. Uh, She was probably about a year old and I was working, you know, 70 hours a week uh, and just had no time for the family at all. And uh, at, at the end of the 2018 Texas primary, my wife and I just looked at each other and we said, we can no longer... Um, commit to continuing this type of lifestyle. We need to make yeah. a change. Um, and so we took our first little family vacation, went all across America.
0: We drove up to the Creation Museum in. Uh, Emphasis on Cincinnati. little family vacation. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Everything's bigger in Texas, I guess. I, don't know. I know,
1: I know, yeah. So we went to the Creation Museum in Cincinnati, and we went to the Ark Encounter in Kentucky, and we went to the Indianapolis Children's Museum in Indian- Indianapolis, and we went to the uh, Christian Worldview Film Festival in Tennessee. Anyways, on this journey, you know, I was surrounded by creative people and things and I was struck with this idea that of all these candidates and opponents that I'd worked for or against over the years, I had never really stopped to pray for my opponents. Hmm. Like I would pray for favor yeah. from my clients. I would never pray sure. for God's blessing on the people that we were trying to defeat, ever. I never did that. I never yep. prayed that God would shape their hearts or change them at all. I was just focused on their destruction. And I realized like this was this was a super messed up thing because I realized that God does not care who's on which side of the political aisle. He cares about each person's heart individually and their journey. And no mm. one is too far gone or too lost. And, uh, probably through that conversation, a set of conversations on that vacation, we decided like, Hey, why don't we start a podcast about how God is changing people's lives, no matter where they are in that season of life mm. and how he can redeem and restore anybody and everybody.
0: Uh, and so that's how we started the show. That's really beautiful. And, um, thank I mean, thank you, just for the record for your own testimony right there right and and um, I think a lot of us, even though maybe we haven't worked for campaigns, like just that moment of like just stopping and being like, "I don't pray blessings over these sure. individuals, sure, yeah, and I think that's almost a ubiquitous statement. I think almost every believer in our cultural climate can at least agree to that for a season, right that we've been like that, yeah, um. Let me just ask you this. How did you come to a place of realizing that was a problem? Because <laughs> I think most people would uh, would not identify that as a problem right now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, I, I don't know if I can claim like, oh, it was like so smart or whatever. Or, like, sure. you know, or there was like You're this. You're just a wise dick, guy, I, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was not like this like immediate eye opener. I think it was probably just through the course of conversations and or slow realizations um and sometimes yeah. like at, at least for me, like sometimes I feel things before I can really put a finger to it. And then once someone expresses it, then I realize like, oh yeah, that is exactly mm-hmm. how I've been feeling or what I've been sensing for the last several months. But I just couldn't yeah. really articulate that until but as soon as they say it, like, oh yeah, that's what I've known sort of yeah. like subconsciously for the last several months. So I couldn't give you a, a, an exact uh uh sweet pat little answer there, sorry.
0: No, again, just the real testimony, like how the Lord works. Sometimes he like has, you know, these vision moments and like Saul becomes Paul. Yeah. Uh, But oftentimes it's more of just like the slow trotting of life. Yeah. um, Yeah. Absolutely. he's working in. Yeah. Okay. So help us kind of understand, like, you know, we, 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 you know, we open up a compelled podcast. What are, what are we really expecting to listen to and to dive into?
1: Yeah. So, uh. Probably the best way to express this is through some samples. Um, so what we what we what we do with compelled is again we're sitting down with someone and we're I'm capturing probably like a two to four hour interview with them about their Christian mm-hmm. walk and about their faith. And then again we take that down and kind of whittle that down to the kind of the forty five minutes that I think are really kind of get to the meat or the core of someone's spiritual mm-hmm. journey, um, or their testimony. Um, and at the end again we're walking away just trying to celebrate like this is what God did. Um, And these are stories that, like, if I am ever struggling or you as the listener ever struggling with something else in the future where you're, you know, and and we hope that at some point you'll remember, like, you know what? I remember, though, about this one lady I heard about and Mm Compelled, how she, too, was facing some insurmountable problem, whether it was a marriage that was crumbling or whether it was a child who was dying. And God still worked in that. Maybe the child eventually did die. And perhaps my child may eventually die anyways as well. But even through that, God can still mm. give me hope and peace for the resurrection ahead and that there's joy to be found in that.
0: It's really beautiful. We, we have a clip that I'd love to go ahead and share with our listeners so they can kind of get a sense of what this is like and, and honestly tease you all over to check out the podcast. Set up this clip with Hannah for us. Like, What are some things sure. you should know kind of going in? I'd be glad to. So uh,
1: there's this story you're about to hear is about Hannah Overton. I've got, I've got a nice little card right here for anyone who wants to look on their YouTube videos there. But Hannah Overton was a mother. She had, I think she had four children, uh, and she was in the process of adopting a fifth child. She and her husband were. And this little boy was about five years old, and unfortunately, while she was adopting him, he passed away uh, in a rather dramatic fashion. It was really sad. Um, and so of course, you know, Hannah is grieving her husband is grieving her other four kids are grieving that they lost this little boy who was about to become their brother and he'd been living with them for months. Um, but, uh, out of the blue child protective services then falsely accuses Hannah of murdering this little boy in cold blood. And unfortunately it gets even crazier and there's a whole backstory of this and you can listen to it on the podcast. But Hannah is convicted falsely of murder, and the Texas jury has two choices. They can either sentence Hannah to death, or they can sentence her to life in prison. And so they chose life in prison. And this story picks up as Hannah has been informed that she is going to spend the rest of her life in prison.
0: We're going to go ahead and we're going to turn over to that. Um, it is kind of emotional in a, in a, in a beautiful, but also very tough way. So I'll put a link in the show notes to the timestamp where it picks up. If you need to skip through that.
2: Because probably I had been raised on a missionary base, I'd seen God Step in and save the day so many times. You know, I had watched as, you know, money was provided the day before every, you know, something was needed. And I just expected that God would come in and save the day on my time schedule. You know, the morning that I left before my, um, verdict, I didn't even, you know, I kissed my kids goodbye, but I didn't, like, I didn't prepare them for that, for that I might not come home. I didn't, you know, I didn't expect that I wasn't going to come home. I had, you know, an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a seven-month-old. Yeah. That I was left. That le- I left at home with my husband.
1: The decision was immediately devastating. Hannah had entered the courtroom a free woman, fully expecting to be declared not guilty, but instead was escorted away, handcuffed as a convicted murderer. Larry would have to tell their children what had happened to mom. He
2: stared out of a window for a few hours and the kids were with my pastor. And then he was like, I need to go home and tell them. And he just told them that some people believe some lies about me and that I had to go to jail until we could prove the truth.
1: Hannah was immediately sent to county jail and locked away in solitary confinement. Because of the nature of her conviction, she could never have physical contact with her children ever again. God had abandoned her, or had he?
2: I was in complete shock, and I don't remember, like, the next five days. Like, I was totally in shock. Um, My attorneys came to the um, police station with me, and they, you know, they tell me stories of, like, in the county jail, the sheriff actually let them stay with me for hours, and I was crying, I can't do this, I can't do this a few weeks later there was a point when i was i was very very depressed you know as we spoke about a little bit earlier you know i had thought god was going to come in and save the day and he didn't do that in my You know, my perspective, God had failed. Yeah. And I I was trying to figure out how God could love me and allow this to happen to me. Yeah. And and I was, you know, I was in solitary confinement because of all the media for the first five and a half months, and I was, so I was alone, I was only allowed out of my cell to shower in the middle of the night, and I, I was very, very depressed. I wasn't eating, I wasn't sleeping, um... Every time I would try to go to sleep, I would have nightmares that I couldn't get to my kids and they were hurting. And um, so then nightmares were even worse than it was when I was awake. So I was scared to go to sleep because in my dreams, they would be like drowning in a car and I couldn't get to them or whatever, you know, different things like that.
0: Yeah.
2: And um, anyway, I, I had come to a point where I just felt like I couldn't do it anymore. And I, was planning to call my husband to tell him, like, because I get, I got one, I got a phone call every so often in the middle of the night when I could call him and talk to him for a few minutes, and I was going to call him to tell him that I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, and I was getting sicker. And I, my plan was, I wasn't telling him I was going to kill myself, but I was telling him I was going to die of a broken heart. So I called him, or I went to try to call him, and um, little did I know that earlier that day. Um God is so cool because my son was trying to go to sleep and he was crying. My oldest, he's eight, and he was crying. He was telling his daddy, I can't do this. I can't do this. And how can I live without my mama? And um, Larry left him. And he said, he said, can you just read this right now? Read your Bible for a minute, and, and I'll be right back. And he left because he didn't know what to say. He was completely overwhelmed by that question, and he went to the garage and cried. And when he went back in, Isaac was not crying anymore. He was he was smiling, and he, he, he said, Daddy, Daddy, look. And he opened up his Bible that Larry had told him to read for a minute. He says, it says right here, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in that childhood faith... You know, he, he read that, and he believed that, and he, he said, we can do this. Yeah. And he said, you need to tell mama when she calls, tell her that the Bible says we can do all things. And so when I called, ready to tell Larry that I was gonna, you know, die of a broken heart, he, before I got that out, he was able to tell me that story about how, you know, God says <laughs> in his word, I can do all things through Christ. She strengthens me.
1: Wow.
2: And, you know, that, helped carry us through
1: it became clear that God was ready to meet Hannah every step of the way whenever she needed him most he was there
2: I was throwing a fit one day I was um you know just telling God how unfair it was you know how you know how can you say you love me and I'm in this prison and I need my babies need me my husband needs me I need to be home I you know and and In the midst of this fit, I wore myself out crying, and and the last thing that I said to God was, I can't even see the flowers, and I fell asleep. Well, God loved me so much that even in the midst of that fit, where I'm telling him he doesn't love me, he he heard that, and I... um, A friend of mine woke up in the middle of the night with this intense desire to get me flowers. And she tells her husband, I've got to go get her flowers. And he's like, you can't. She's in the county jail. You can't get her flowers. She's like, no, I have to. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I have to. And after a bit of an argument, she finally she got up and went to the grocery store and bought flowers and went to the county jail and was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with these, God, but I feel like you told me to buy flowers. And she put them in the no parking sign. And little did she know, I was on the sixth floor. But when I looked out my window, that's what I could see, that my little bit of the real world that I could see was that no parking sign. And I looked down the next morning at those flowers. You know, it's like, you know, Now I look back and, you know, it makes me want to cry that God bought me flowers at the time. I was still a bit of a brat in the mood I was in, feeling abandoned by God. And I was like, that's not funny, God.
1: (laughs) After almost half a year in solitary confinement in county jail, Hannah was transferred to a maximum security prison where she was introduced to another world. What was your communication with your family? About once a
2: month, my husband would bring the kids up for a two hour visit through Bulletproof Glass. Um, He came every weekend. Uh, The church helped pay for gas and watch the kids and all kinds of stuff so that he could come. And he came every weekend, and we we had contact visits, so we would sit at the at opposite sides of a table, but we could hold hands. Um, but because my case involved a child, I couldn't have that with the children, so I had to see them through bulletproof glass, and I would, he brought them up once a month.
1: Slowly, Hannah began to adjust to her new life in prison.
2: So over the next few months, as I began to heal and I began to... Um, You know, to get used to life in prison and what the day-to-day was going to be like, I felt like God was saying to me that in His hands I had a big purpose, and He had a purpose for what He was doing, and I needed to trust Him. I, I might not understand His plan, but I needed to trust His heart. There was this lady, and at the time, she was uh, the head of the Wiccan Circle, and
1: she was in prison. In prison, the Wiccan Circle,
2: the Wiccan Circle, and she was very, very scary, very, you know, dangerous. And um, she, I was put in a job where she was supposed to train me, and she was very angry with me because I kept crying. And she's like, "You can't cry in prison," you know. Except she didn't say it that nicely, but <laughs> um, so she kept, you know, she kept yelling at me for, you know being a crybaby. And finally, one day she said to me, she she said, you need to get over this and you need to realize that this is your home. And I was like, this will never be my home. And she said, no, no, this is your home. And she said, now you say that you believe in God, right? I said, yeah. She's like, so if your God is so powerful, then he's got some purpose for you being here or he wouldn't have put you here. So either you believe in him or you don't. Is this your home or not? And I was mad at her. I was like, how could you say that to me? Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. is not my home. And so I, you know, I, I went back to, the, um, to my dorm after work, and I was you know, telling God all about how this wasn't fair. And, uh, and I opened up my Bible, and in Acts, there's a place in Acts that says that God decides exactly when and where you are to live. And, and I opened it up to that scripture and I was like, oh wow. <laughs> okay, God. Yeah. you know and, and it was like God was telling me, you know, I, I am in control and I did decide exactly when and where you were to live. Yeah And you have to give in and realize that this is this is my plan for you right now. and there's a purpose. And so at that point, I, I mean, repented for being so upset, and I was like, I don't know that I can ever call this home god, but i I, I understand that you have me here and that there's a reason for you having me here.
0: All right, whoa. Um, so help us help us kind of process through s- that story, but also, is this normal? Is this the type of story you, you normally are listening to and uh, listening to to people processing through?
1: Yeah, so uh, just to kind of take a step back there with Hannah's story. You know, she, we, we end on this cliffhanger. She's still in prison, but now she realizes, like, is this where God actually wants me to be? Um, mm-hmm. And the answer is, yes, this is where God, because God never makes accidents, right? You think about Joseph. Yeah. You think about Daniel. Both of those guys were wrongly placed in completely different situations where they should, quote unquote, never should have been. And yet they're in these foreign empires, and God uses them as, to become men of influence to preserve his country mm-hmm. uh, or his people. And same thing with Esther also. Um, but in in particular, like, you know, for me, and this might be odd, you know, when we listen to stories and I'm listening to, you know, people's testimonies all the time, um, I just find it really uniquely um encouraging to me. And maybe it's like my personality type. Sure. But to be able to sort of like sink in with somebody and fully sort of experience mm-hmm. what they were going through at that time. Um, but then to realize like, but God is going to win the day. And it may not be the way that I want. Right? Like maybe Hannah's going to mm. stay in prison for the rest of her life, anyways. Maybe she'll be there forever. Um, but it's still, God is still the winner because God is still working in these situations. Um, and we just have to wait and see sometimes. And maybe we won't see the nice, happy ending here on earth. But in heaven, all things will be restored. All things will be redeemed. Everything will be set new. And God is the winner.
0: You've said this a few times, and I want to hone in on it. And this is really the crux of um, this podcast, specifically. You know, I want to know how do we become more or less like Christ when we make a habit in our lives of listening to the testimonies of others, right? Like that's kind of like where I kind of want to go. So, one of the fears I have is that, man, if I make a if I make a habit, we, we live in a in a in a culture that beautifully and in some ways like we have mental health conversations more frequently maybe now than we have before i feel like just maybe me in, in the past roles uh i'm thinking of especially pastors out there we listen to people's stories so much we can get empathy fatigue we can become so tell me like what's the desire as people listen to the stories from compelled but also just in general you know in in our living rooms as it were we're listening to the stories of our friends and our family and, and listening to what lord has been doing in their life what how should we be formed, ideally?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that, that's a really deep question. I'm glad you asked that because that's a. Sometimes I think we could just like, you know, kind of think hear something, and then we just like jump on and move right mm-hmm. on beyond that. Um, probably what comes to my mind actually is Second Corinthians five fourteen and fifteen actually, um, which in essence I think it says something to the effect of, um, for the love of Christ compels us. Mm-hmm. Um, since we have reached this conclusion, one died for all, therefore. All have died. He died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who Mm -hmm. died for them and was raised. And really it's this idea that our stories, all of our stories now should be reflecting this idea that God is the reason that we're Mm -hmm. even alive in the first place, Mm -hmm. spiritually speaking, right? Um, It's Christ who died for us. And now his, his love for us now should compel the entire way that we live our lives. And so even when we yeah. hear someone else's testimony that, again we're trying to extract this emotion from that testimony like hey here's someone something crazy happened god is the winner mm-hmm. and now this person you just heard it's totally transformed the way that they live their life they are now compelled to live for Christ right because they've mm-hmm. reached this conclusion they've recognized like the truth of that passage from second corinthians and so now us too we too hopefully we can gather that without having mm-hmm. to actually experience that thing, like I, you know, I don't want yeah, to see yeah, this yeah. still life in prison, right? But I sure. do want to walk away from being compelled. Um, again, I think about like the Old Testament is replete with stories, uh, and not all of them have the pretty endings. But many of them are stories of faithful men who love the Lord. Daniel who mm-hmm. stood up in the lion, you know, was thrown into the lion's den because he was willing to die for mm-hmm. his faith. His friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All these stories that we teach our little kids, but those resonate with our little kids because our little kids remember and latch onto stories right away. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, I think a story can be a way to sort of bypass a longer teaching method to get to a conclusion in your heart. But at the same time, you know, you need to look back though and then reinforce those things with actual teaching and thought and deep processing. But stories are a way like in 45 minutes, man, you can slam somebody right into the emotion. They can walk away. That's like watching movies, you know, like people love watching feature films because you experience a story in 90 minutes. Um, and if you can convey something in 90 minutes that in a book might take you, you know, 10 hours to process.
0: And I think to, to some extent what you're just talking about, not, not just the condensed part, but also just the idea of like, just people's stories in general. And I think about this a lot too, because in communities, you know, just like anything else, we shouldn't only be having spiritual formation conversations or listening to this podcast. We shouldn't only be hearing testimonies or listening to compelled, right? There should be like a habit in our life of being in community yeah. and like looking at someone in the eyes and asking, like, what's your story? And just like listening and being curious. And one of the things that I was thinking about, kind of in preparation for this conversation was, you know, I'm, I am listening to stories all the time, Mm. turn on the news, um, just turn on Netflix, whatever it is, you know, whether it's a blatant story, like, like a show, or it's just the story of life. This is the, this is the war across the ocean. This is the uh, issue you know experienced within my own borders this is the um the, the tragedy that happened down the street like these are stories and and there, many of them are true stories like these are the difficulties even even the fictional stories are conveying truths about the world that we live in in a fallen world and i i sometimes think about the power that's in testimony it it's it, it can you know i don't want to limit god god's not a box uh so it can be you know just miraculous in a sense but in a sense the the miracle is in the slow forming of of my own mind and the story i tell myself that to your point it's like i begin to reinterpret my story as as the main character is christ and and we're yeah. glorifying, and we're pointing yeah. to him right yeah. I, I create a habit of that i create a habit of victory even when all the world, like my situation is not victorious by the world's standards, right? I'm in prison or this loved one is still gone, you know, or, or, um, this, this, this thing that I was praying for did not happen. Like whatever that is. Um, how many of us, for example, have found beauty in the letter of uh of the philippians uh, the letter that paul wrote to the church of philippi and we find beauty in it but then like when we learn that paul like we, ha- we highlight the fact that paul's like talking about like, he's in prison when he's writing this letter of joy like that element that little bit of background where he's like i'm in chains but i'm like you're like what and it's like this that narrative of like paul finds joy even in the midst of chains and so what i'm trying to say is i think we're kind of formed to be like Christ because we start to reinterpret our own story as one in which Christ is the main character. Uh, does that resonate with you at all?
1: I, I think so. I think so. You know, frequently people reference uh, this passage from revelation 12, 11, uh, that they, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to remember it's, uh, uh, it's essentially, it's like, uh, and they, it, it's, uh, you may have to, we're gonna Google it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but it's like they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their word testimony. Of their testimony. Yeah, and, and they love the love their not their lives even unto death. And I mm-hmm. think sometimes people can actually maybe misquote that passage, being like, "Oh, the word of their testimony and the blood of the lamb." So it's sort of like equating the two, like, "Oh, it's this and that," and that's what conquered says. You know, it's. The sure. Blood sure. Of the, I, I don't think that's the right interpretation. I think it's that the blood of the lamb is the thing that conquers. Yeah, you know, the, the, the blood of the lamb is the blood of Christ. Right. And yeah. the word of their testimony, I think that's more of a reinforcement statement saying that the word of their testimony, the way that they're lived mm-hmm. their lives sort of was like a, in submission to, because it's be, uh, the blood of the lamb. So back to that second Corinthians passage, that the blood of the lamb, the death of Christ, that is what shaped everything else that we do now. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about the word of their testimony, the idea is the saints, the church has embraced this to such a full extent that even the way they live their lives, their testimony, their testimony of their life mm-hmm. now is reflective of it's because Christ died for us in the first place. Um, I'm not a mm. theologian, so I couldn't wax super eloquently on that, but I, I believe that to be true.
0: Aren't we all just armchair theologians? Uh, but you know, I, I, to, to your point, though, uh, I think not just about... Um, it, it also kind of gets into the bones of how we act. So thinking about that verse where the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, there's some extent that the word of the testimony, your, your testimony is a result of the blood of the lamb, right? So like, because yeah. of Christ's work on the cross, I have a testimony at all. Yeah. And I think about, the, uh, what does it say? Blessed are the uh, beautiful are the feet that carry the good news. And it's in this section in which it says that Paul writes that, um, we, we get this idea of like, well, how are people going to know if people don't go? Like, how are people going to know what Christ has done if people don't go and tell them? And uh, maybe I'm wrong as well, but there's this always kind of been this feeling in me that Christ Christ's work on the cross was enough that he's commissioned us, is, is the term that's often used, to go and talk of that work, and I think to communicate that work in our like and what it's been doing in our own lives, right? This level of like, this is the work that Christ has done on the cross, this is how it's influenced me as an individual. Um, the focus is on him and the glory is for him. And the end of the story is one in which he comes and there's a new kingdom and, and a resurrection in which all things are made new. But there's this this like, nobody's gonna know what Christ has done in Phil's life until Phil tells somebody what Christ has done in my life. And when I start thinking, I hear the story of stories of others i form this mental pattern of like this is what the testimony is it's the work of christ in someone's life and and i begin to highlight that and i begin to see that in my own life then i begin to live as if that is true like i live with faith we talk a lot about anxiety and fear which i think is obviously very real and and it's it's something that many people who are listening to this podcast are struggling with and then there becomes this question of like is it possible to live without fear i think it's a big question that our society is asking and if, if we consume testimonies often and that becomes the, the the narrative that's kind of rattling around in our brain all the time, I feel like things like faith increase and our actions that are born of faith increase and fear naturally dissipates and actions that are born of fear naturally dissipate. Of course, there's exceptions with the you know chemical imbalances in our brain that can cause certain uh, emotions. But I think generally, that's a good rule of thumb. Am I rambling? I'm rambling at this point, <laughs> I'm
1: pretty sure. <laughs> hey, you know, we, we we went from like a, you know, armchair ther- armchair theologians and now we're kind of getting into like a newer science here and like who knows <laughs> right. this will be a constructing aircraft for the space race or something.
0: Uh, Paul, where do you pray compelled goes from here?
1: Mm, you know, that's a great question. My wife and I have been talking about this for a while. So we started the show about five years ago, Mm -hmm. and we were recently, about a year ago, we were able to go full-time on the show. Um, So it's kind of grown a lot, Um, and so we're excited about that. We've talked about launching a podcast network, actually, which may happen sooner rather than later. All right. We're discussing with other podcasters right now. that are kind of in the same space of of immersive uh, storytelling um, from a Christian perspective. Yeah. Um, so that might be something in the works right there. Um, another thing that we just recently did on our website is we actually created a topical page. So if you head over to our website, compelledpodcast.com, up in the top bar, you'll see topics. And that way you can actually look for specific topics that are relevant mm. to the Christian walk, whether it's about suffering or how does a Christian respond to pornography mm. or when a loved one dies or lost, different topics. And then in those topical pages, we list some of our Uh, particular episodes or testimonies that were specific to those topics of choice. um, And you can listen to those, but we also highlight books and articles and resources that we found to be really helpful in those topics as well. So we're hoping that's a helpful resources to pastors and to lay people as well. or to general listeners that are trying to find things. So we're trying to populate those uh, those pages right now and point people to good resources.
0: Well, absolutely going to put notes or links to all those in our show notes. And let me end on one last question. Paul, how do you think that you have changed Hmm. with compelled and listening to the testimonies of person after person after person?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. There's been multiple occasions actually where I've had, my wife and I, we've been dealing with something difficult in our marriage Mm -hmm. where we will then point back and reflect like, actually, this actually reminds us of so-and-so story. Mm -hmm. Um, And these people become friends with us actually. They're not just like, you know, out there in the nowhere sort of like random person. Like we know these sure. people now. I text with them. They're friends of ours. And we can find hope and encouragement just knowing like, yeah, this this happened to that person. Mm-hmm. And yet God walked them through that on the other side. And we, you know, we are still in the midst of things. We're still in the thick of it. But we have the fullest confidence of God who would work with that person. And we know from the word that He can that He can yeah. work with us as too
0: Paul, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Uh, with compelled i pray and blessings that it continues to grow and i encourage those who are listening to check out the podcast and to make a habit of uh, hearing testimonies whether that's listening through compelled and also being in local communities in which you're looking at people in the eyes and you're hearing their stories and you're being curious about them so thanks for modeling that paul oh glad to glad to it's our honor man Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode of the Living Room Disciple podcast. I pray that my conversation with Paul was a blessing to you. Make sure to check out the show notes where you can find more about the Compelled podcast, about the work that they're doing, and to the episode that we uh, listened to just a snippet to earlier. Also, don't forget to check out livingroomdisciple.com where you can find out more about us and how you can support us on Patreon. Thank you so much to Anissa Leib for all the amazing production work that she does, to Eric Church for getting this episode out into the world to Daniel Ramirez for composing all the music for this episode and thank you to you thank you for listening and for supporting and for being a part of the Living Room Disciple community where discipleship finds a home